Welcome to episode 188 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing part one of a two-part roundtable on the Legend of Zelda video game series with my guests Jason Robbins and Chris Gergiola. We're talking about our first memories of the Zelda franchise, Link to the Past, the N64 games, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. Ocarina of Time is widely considered to be one of, if not the greatest Zelda game of all time. We touch on that subject and the controversy surrounding the graphics of The Wind Waker when that game came out several years ago. All that and so much more, I was really excited to do this podcast, and it was so big that we had to split it into two parts. So before we get to that, let me tell you about our proud sponsor, Audible. This week's episode of The Derek Diamond Experience is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Diamond. Experience! Sitting here with my two special guests for this week's roundtable edition of the Derek Diamond Experience. First, one of the hosts from the Pop Culture Palette podcast and my co-host from Nerd Cave Retro, Mr. Jason Robbins. How are you, sir? Greetings, programs. I am doing well. (laughs) Fantastic. Also joining us, uh, making his second appearance on the show is a co-worker of mine, uh, Blue Wahoo's broadcaster, Mr. Chris Gergiola. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back on the Derek Diamond experience. A huge honor. It's been so long since, you know, I saw you, Chris. I feel like it was not even an hour ago. Oh, minutes. I mean, dozens of minutes. So <laughs> Something like that. Uh, no, it so- doesn't feel like I'm on the Derek Diamond experience. It just feels like we're recording another episode of Nerd Cave Retro. <laughs> Pretty much because of what we're going to talk about tonight. So you know, bo- both you guys, I feel like you know me fairly well. And there are a few things that I'm like really a huge fan of, my fandom, if you will. Um, I would say Star Wars is probably number one. But if there's anything that could rival it, it's what we're talking about tonight. And that is the Legend of Zelda video game series. It's mm-hmm. something, you know, that I've been a huge fan of really as long as I can remember. So I wanted to start off by asking both of you, what's your first memory of just the Zelda franchise in general, whether it's, you know, seeing a commercial, a poster, uh, playing one of the games? What What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Zelda? I'll let Chris go first. Oh, man. Wow. Okay. Um, well, mine's actually a little different because I, and, and Derek knows this a little bit, I was actually sort of born into the gaming universe under the the Mario family. And so I, like, at the, I think, age four or five, I, my sister had a Super Nintendo, and I played Super Mario Kart and Super Mario World, and I never had any interest in Zelda. And then I got, you know, flash forward all the way towards the end of high school, I got a Wii, and they had the virtual console. And I just remember my oldest sister in passing said something like, yeah, well... Ocarina of Time, that Zelda game, is supposed to be like, I don't know, one of her friends said it was supposed to be like one of the greatest games ever. And I was like, 
all right, like whatever, let's let's give it a look. And I had vaguely remember seeing someone play when they were in the Kokiri Forest or, you know, on that N64 sort of blockish graphics, but didn't think anything of it. And then, gosh, I remember playing it just all the way through. I mean, getting past the devilish water temple and and the entire thing. And that was the first game, and you're talking at age, I think, 17, where I wished more than anything I could play Ocarina of Time again for the first time. Like, it was just such a wonderfully composed game and kind of a perfect balance of story and challenge. And pretty much just playing that with a couple buddies, you know, even though I was a bit late to the party, was definitely like it, it, it hooked me in for life I feel like that's fantastic uh, my first <clears throat> let's see the first time I ever experienced Zelda was I think it was it had to be uh, around 1987 so I was about 10 years old I had a neighbor that lived down the street uh, this the um, these two brothers lived down the street from me. One was a, a kid named Brian who was my age. And then he had an older brother that was about two or three years older named Patrick. And Patrick, the older brother, was like the kid I would rather have been hanging out with. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it was just, you know, we were more into the same stuff. Like he was really into, you know, fantasy, science fiction and stuff like that. Like his room was full of like action figures and uh, the Starship Enterprise hanging from the ceiling and like uh, the Dune books. He was really into Dune. Damn. So he was really into like <laughs> fantasy. And um, I remember they had a Nintendo and I went over there one day and he was playing Legend of Zelda. And I had never experienced anything like that before. Like I, I didn't even have a Nintendo at the time. You know, I would just go over to my friend's houses and we would play things like Kung Fu and uh, Rad Racer, Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, things like that. But when I saw Legend, him playing Legend of Zelda, I was just like, what is this? And I, I must have sat and watched him play it for days. Like, I would just go over there and just watch him play that game. And that was actually one of the first games I had gotten for the Nintendo when I finally got one for my birthday in 1988. Um, I remember I got, <clears throat> of course, the Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt that came with it. I got uh, Metroid a couple months later, and I eventually ended up getting Zelda <clears throat> and playing that for a while. But I never finished it, and um, I really didn't get into uh, the, the Adventures of Link Part 2. I thought it was a little too much of a departure from the first game. And then once uh, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past came out in 92 or late 91, whenever it came out, uh, I got it as soon as it came out. And that game was just, it's still one of my favorite games of all time. And because of that game, I actually borrowed uh, the Legend of Zelda um, you know, a guidebook from a friend at school and actually went back and finished the original Zelda. Um, but that was... You know, my first kind of uh, experience with Zelda was was watching my friend from down the street play it, you know, for days, even weeks. I probably sat there and watched him play that game and was just amazed with it because we didn't I had never seen anything like that, you know, because the, the game console I had at the time was an Atari 2600. And the closest you got to any kind of adventure game was a game called Adventure. Yeah. 
No, my my story is kind of similar um, in a way to yours, Jason, because you know, I remember when I was in, you know, early elementary school, um, I would get dropped off at my aunt's house waiting for my mom to get off work and come pick me up. And my aunt had an NES and she had two games for it. It was the Super Mario Brothers duck hunt combo and then the original Legend of Zelda. Now, I love the Mario games, too. You know, the, it was one of my favorite and one of the best franchises ever made. But there was just something about Zelda, and I think it was because with Mario, you just kind of had a singular objective. You just, you know, run through, you grab your power-ups, and you just try to, to beat the levels that you're in. But with Zelda, you could, you know, you could go to this dungeon, you know, in this section of the map. You could go to the other side, and you could go to that dungeon, you really kind of had the freedom to do whatever you wanted. And, you know, the like Link to the Past and even Ocarina of Time and, and games around that era were linear in a way, but they almost didn't feel that way. So mm. I think I just love the exploration and, you know, that kind of inspired my fascination with medieval type things. You know, it, it was just one of those, like, I, I don't have very many like, very distinct memories from my childhood that I can remember, but I could tell you exactly where the TV was. I could tell you where all the chairs, the windows, uh, the entire layout of that room that I would play that game for hours. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, my mom would come to pick me up and I'm like, no, I'm not ready to go home yet. <laughs> and then, it's, it's, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I never beat the original Zelda as a kid, but when they re-released it for the Game Boy Advance, that was when I finally beat it, and I just remember feeling like such a sense of accomplishment. I'm like, nothing could get any better than, than this. <laughs> that's, that's a half-glass-full and empty sort of thought process, but um, no, I think... It's a good point that you brought up about the sort of linear objective with the Mario series. And I, <clears throat> I've i always felt like, especially having a, a few now Zelda games under my belt, that Zelda reaches a broader demographic, I think, of gamers, if you will, in the sense that it offers a few more challenges. And I think it involves a little bit more critical thinking. And if you look at, again, the... The SNES for me is sort of my reference point here, but you look at like Super Mario World and A Link to the Past. They both had kind of an interesting story, if you will, and they both were on the same sort of difficulty level where younger kids could still beat it, but the additional things to do were extremely challenging and it offered like a lot of thought and there would be a lot of trial and error. And I feel like as the years went on, the Mario franchise sort of branched more towards being a lot more graphically pleasing, uh, a storyline that sort of was geared a little bit towards that younger audience, um, more, I don't want to say family-friendly, because it's not like Zelda's not family-friendly, but it, it felt like more of a younger kids game. And that Zelda franchise, while you can still sort of be, you know, in that 8, 9, 10 years old range and start playing, I think it's aged very well for people who are, in their late teens, early 20s, 30s as well, who still like that challenge. Um, and I feel like having played a little bit of Super Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild, those are the perfect sort of comparisons because Odyssey still feels like 
it's made for someone a little bit younger. Sometimes the levels are a little too simple, um, but the Easter eggs in there are supposed to be the, the balancing point for an older gamer, whereas Breath of the Wild really didn't have to add anything. They just the whole storyline um, sort of meets those challenging criteria, which make it both so fun and so frustrating. Well, you look at um, the, you know, a lot of the games that are popular now, especially, you know, something you kind of hit on, um, you know, the Legend of Zelda is the very first kind of loot-based game, yeah. uh, you know, where in puzzle solving. And we wouldn't have games like, uh, you know, Tomb Raider or um, at, um, what was the one with um, Nathan Drake? Uh, what's those games? Um, Uncharted. Uncharted, like those are direct lineage of Legend of Zelda and like the, you know, the puzzle solving and dungeon mechanics. I mean, we wouldn't have dungeon crawlers today if it wasn't <laughs> yeah. Legend of Zelda. You know, like Diablo is firmly rooted in the, the you know, Legend of Zelda play style. No, absolutely. Um, kind of moving on from like the... Well, I'll ask this real quick, um, Chris. Have you played any of the like the original Zelda games, like the NES versions and like Link to the Past? A Link to the Past. Um, I knew a lot about it, and I I finally got the chance to play actually this December when I got the the SNES Classic, and A Link to the Past was one of those games that was programmed on there. Uh, and boy, I can see like even for a game that you know came out what. 20 years ago, roughly, like, I still had a blast playing that. Like, I can see what everyone was saying about, like, oh, Link to the Past blew my mind sort of thing. It was, that was a lot of fun. You know, it's interesting that you you bring up the comparisons with Mario World and Link to the Past, because you could make the argument that those two games are the best of their franchise, you know, wh- whether they are or not, you know, is, is up for debate, but you could definitely throw them in the discussion. I kind of feel the same way about Odyssey and Breath of the Wild, because I know a lot of people who say that Odyssey is, you know, top three Mario game ever made. And yeah, I'm sure we'll get into the deba- debate later of where Breath of the Wild stands. But, you know, it, it's kind of interesting, you know, that 20 years ago we have that comparison with those two games and now we have you know, the same two for a new generation? Well, uh, real quick, I would say that um, that you and Jason are kind of in that perfect sweet spot in terms of gaming. Um, I'm uh, just a couple years behind because I, I didn't really experience the Atari or the NES or anything like that. But, I mean, you guys saw the very beginning of gaming really become part of pop culture Oh, yeah. and has, has watched it evolve into the, the spectacular thing. I mean, Derek and I were talking the other day, eSports, if you had brought up that concept 20 years ago, I mean, that idea would be just laughable, that you could fill basically a, an NBA stadium with people to just watch a bunch of gamers compete against each other. And now, I mean, that is a cash cow. You've got ESPN with part of their website and telecast covering, like, esports and video game contests and it is just incredible to see how much that's changed and you guys had a front row seat to it i would have given anything to, to be a professional gamer when i was a kid <laughs> good lord like <laughs> the closest we could have 
gotten to being a professional gamer was to be um, one of the what, God. Why do I always forget what they're called, Derek? And uh, the Nintendo Power issues, uh, the people that you would call to get the tips from. Oh, uh, what what were they? I, I'm gonna Google that real quick because we were talking I, about that a couple of weeks ago. I always forget what they're called, and I hate it. They're the uh, the game. Uh, let's see. Hang on, I'm googling it real quick. Um, let's see. Uh, Nintendo Power Tips. Uh, doesn't say anything about a name. Oh man! But there were people. There was a, a the Nintendo like tip line that you could call, and there were people. The line that, experts. Uh, and what they would they would just play games all day. And oh, oh. I I actually found it. It's game counselors. Game counselors. That's yeah. it. And you would call them on this, you know, nine hundred number if you were stuck on something, and it would cost like <laughs> four ninety nine a minute to call this number, <laughs> and um, and they would help you through it. And I was just like, man, what an awesome job that would be, just to play video games all day. And then you know, now here it is, twenty eighteen, and Blizzard has a an esports arena in California with literally thousands of people that gather to watch esports and people are getting paid millions of dollars to be you know esports uh do you call them athletes or what are they called <laughs> that's a great question i don't i don't think we have a proper word yet to identify that type of athleticism to call it it's game, professional gamers you know uh, and they're getting uh, you know, sponsorships and all this stuff. And then there's like people that are retiring already at like, oh my gosh, it's just so like, weird. <laughs> like, well, my time has passed a long time ago. <laughs> like, Oh, what are you retired from? Oh, video gaming. Yeah. Like, that, that just that, saying that just sounds so weird. I know. Little side I, note bef before Nintendo we had to retire. Yeah. Uh, little side note um, for you, Chris, before we move on with our Zelda talk. Um, we were actually talking about this several weeks ago on our uh, retro show. You know, on the back of the Super Nintendo, it has this 1-800 number that you can call for, like, technical support? Yes. That still works. No way! You can actually, because somebody called that number because they were having issues with their Super Nintendo, and whoever answered... You know, help them fix it. I hope it's the same guy that was there in the nineties. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> doing it for thirty years. He's like, I've seen it all. All right, every technical issue you can think of, it's like is taking care of it. <laughs> it's like one old ratty bearded dude in like a closed down office space. There's only like one cubicle left in this office, and he's like the only one still left working there. Just staring at the phone, praying it rings. Like he just goes days, <laughs> weeks without any contact from the outside like, world. Like the Maytag repairman. <laughs> uh, he just walks outside finally and just walks out to a whole different world. Like this isn't 1993. <laughs> Who's president? <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> Before we continue this awesome discussion about The Legend of Zelda, I have to remind you that for you, the listeners of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. 
And they have a ton of books to choose from, over 180,000 of them. They have anything from gaming, romance, sci-fi, fantasy, fiction, nonfiction, any genre you can think of, Audible has. And if you're always on the go like I am, it's a great service to have to be able to continue to read without having to sit down and read a physical copy. And to do that, just go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. Um, but kind of moving on, uh, we'll move on to the um, the N64 era, which is you know, arguably one of the best eras of the, the Zelda franchise. We'll start with Ocarina of Time. And, you know, I reviewed this months and months ago on Nerd Cave Retro, and I said not only is it my favorite Zelda game of all time, but it's my all-time favorite video game, period. And it's because when you walk out for the first time into Hyrule Field, and I'm sure you know Chris will get to this with Breath of the Wild, but when you just see the open Hyrule Field in 3D for the first time, I can't... I can't describe that feeling like it hasn't really been replicated. The breath of the wild moment was the closest that's come to it, but just that moment and seeing, you know, the storyline evolve uh, with these fully movable characters in 3d was just amazing at the time. And I I love going back, you know, I, I try to go maybe once a year or once every other year and play through this game because that I, I go through it every time and I just love it more and more. Well, I think so. One of the interesting debates, uh, I think when people try and make the argument of the greatest of all time, whatever it may be, um, I think there's two things you have to take into account. One of them is that especially when you're younger and you experience something like that, it has a more meaningful impact on you. So you kind of add what I like to call nostalgia points on whatever you're sort of defending Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's important to be cognizant of that. Um, when you make those type of arguments, if, if, if you're sort of doing it in a, in a serious sort of tone. And I think that for games that you play when you're kids, like for me, you know, like I I played super Mario Kart on the SNES not too long ago and I still love it, but I have the wherewithal to admit that like, okay, like graphically it's, it's somewhat of a challenge and like, you know, the physics of it are appropriate for the time, which kind of leads me to my second point, which is when you're evaluating how good something is, especially years down the road, you have to do your best to try and remember sort of the tools that were available for the creators at the time. And that's why it's so close for me, because like I said, huge Mario fan, always have been, always will be. But for me, the two greatest games I've ever played it's so neck and neck between Ocarina of Time and Breath of the Wild. I mean, it's a Zelda clean sweep because of a lot of the points you just brought up, Derek. And just how they were able to to develop a storyline with concepts basically such as time travel and not make it seem totally ridiculous. Like the idea of being young Link and then turning into adult Link through the Temple of Time and then like you have to collect the stones and then go forward, and then go backwards. Like, it didn't feel ridiculous. It felt like really masterful storytelling that you were actively participating in. And, yeah, I mean, like, 
it, what epona or epona uh, pronunciation always gets the best of me but like never thought i'd care about a damn horse in a video game and yet like i'm looking at breath of the wild like where the hell's epona like why is it an amiibo that should be a main staple the 100 year old stallion but oh gosh i mean ocarina of time like I just feel like it was a total game changer in the entire landscape of video games at that time. And I actually didn't start playing Ocarina of Time until very recently. Um, I That entire, most of the N64 era, I missed. Uh, and pretty much all video gaming around that time. Because that was from, you know, 95 to... Uh, late nineties was pretty much college time for me and, um, you know, like trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. So video games were very low on the list and I didn't actually get a Nintendo 64 until I think 1999 maybe. And then very soon after I got that, I jumped to the Xbox, uh, played that for a couple of years until about 2004, when I actually got a, uh, a GameCube and then picked back up in the Zelda series with Wind Waker at that time. So I completely missed uh, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask um, when they first came out because I, it was just, I was completely out of video gaming at that time. But I am glad you recently picked it up, though, because, you know, it, it's, it's one of those games that even if you're not a Zelda fan, if you're a fan of just gaming in general, then yeah. you should give it a shot because it's that good. There's a reason that, you know, when IGN, when I remember they reviewed this game, they had never given a 10 out of 10 before when they, when they scored video games. They but gave see, the, Ocarina of Time a 10. The problem with going back and trying to, to replay these games on on the N64 is that controller is a pile of garbage. And I, <laughs> But if they came out with Ocarina of Time for the Switch, I would, I would throw money down on it in a heartbeat to play it on, uh, you know, a console and a, a you know, a, a controller scheme that isn't like trying to um, drive an out of control stick uh, shift. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it, it's going back and playing with that controller is. Definitely not the uh, the most enjoyable it's, thing I've ever done. It's just so awkward to hold. Well, it's just not intuitive. You know, the the two the dual analog sticks are very intuitive, but when you go back to just one, it's it takes a lot to get used to. Yeah. What would you guys say is the best uh, gaming controller? Oof. Um, I'm actually gonna I'll throw my answer out there real quick I love the GameCube controller it's yeah. not the greatest system in the world but it fits it fits really naturally in your hands the way the trigger buttons are shaped your fingers kind of naturally sink into them so it's almost like you can rest them there at all times and it doesn't feel uncomfortable Yeah, I think that and probably an Xbox 360 controller are the two best designed controllers that have ever been. Yeah, I think for me the it, the Xbox 360, and I was really late to the the Xbox party, but I mean, you're talking about a piece of hardware that just fits so naturally into both hands, kind of like regardless. It, it sounds so ridiculous to say, but like 
regardless of hand size, regardless of whether or not you've played a game before. Because you know sometimes you can go to different controllers and it feels very foreign, but when you pick up an Xbox 360 controller, it's like you know where you're supposed to put your fingers, you know where you're supposed to put your thumbs immediately, and like the learning process for games, I feel like, comes so, so much more easily because of that. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, did either of you guys play Majora's Mask? I did not. Um, And truth be told, uh, a little bit was just because I was afraid of the sequel to Ocarina of Time. Like, very rarely is the sequel as good as the original, whether it be movie, whether it be video game. So uh, I know it's a good game in its own right. Uh, I know a lot of people have liked it, but... But I think because of that, I just, you know what, Termina Bay, you just stay over there, all right? I'm going to chill out in Hyrule. <laughs> uh, I'll just, I'll touch on it real quick. I actually think it's it's in my top five as far as Zelda games go. It's very similar to Ocarina of Time as far as gameplay and graphics go, because they took a lot of the elements from Ocarina of Time and just moved them over to Majora's Mask. The story is very unique in that it's one of the darker entries in the entire franchise because it deals a lot with death and you know the end of the world because you have a certain amount of time to complete all your objectives before the moon crashes down and basically wipes out the entire planet. And time travel's involved with the Ocarina of Time, which you get fairly early in the game. Uh, but there are a lot of really cool side quests, and you can make the argument that Majora's Mask is a giant side quest in its own right, because it feels more like a spinoff than a sequel. There, there are side quests that deal with, you know, like this couple that's been split up and you get them back together right before the world ends. Uh, You deal with, you know, people, you know, not having anyone in order to deal with, you know, the feeling of impending doom with, you know, reuniting other people and things like that. You know, so you, you really get, a lot emotionally out of Majora's Mask that you wouldn't really think about. So, you know, if either of you guys get the chance to, I would definitely recommend it. Um, it is, like I said, it's similar gameplay-wise to Ocarina of Time, but it's different enough where it doesn't feel like a complete rehash. Well, what I'm really hoping is, I think, with uh, the launch of the Nintendo Switch Online, that they're going to start putting a lot more of this older stuff out, updated for the act for the switch and I, i'm really hoping some of the nintendo 64 era stuff gets put into you know being able to be played on the switch and that would be that would be m- m- me jumping into ocarina of time and majora's mask you know hardcore to play those games i i agree with what you're saying i mean i don't I mean, there's rumors that make it seem like Nintendo is sort of on the fence about how they're going to do their online program and what games they're going to allow. I just feel like, wouldn't you want to put those out there so people can rebuy them in a somewhat similar way to Nintendo basically reselling Mario Kart 8 and people who bought the Wii U saying, tough luck, you have to rebuy the Switch version, like no discount, no anything. And yet that still sold super well. So I feel like even though the game's like 20 years old or 15 years old, like why would you not want to re-release that for people to just go ahead and cough up the dough? Well, we talk about that all the time. You know, there's a lot of old, great old games that 
you know, a lot of younger people just didn't get to experience at the at the time. So why not put this stuff out? There's there's it's Nintendo properties. They're going to sell, especially yeah. to people that are into Legend of Zelda. Like you have some kid that played, you know, Breath of the Wild was his say his first ever experience with Legend of Zelda. He's got a lot of back games to go to, you know, to try out. And wouldn't it be simpler to just offer them all on what current gaming system there is? Well, and and really quick, that that made me think of a great point, um, which is I, I referenced earlier that sort of you and Derek, a little bit older, so you kind of had that front row seat to watching games evolve. But you're also now sort of part of this generation where you played video games as a kid. Now you've grown up, you've gone to school. And people in that generation, they get married, they have kids, and now their kids are coming to the age where they're first starting to play video games, and you have a lot more like mothers and fathers playing with their sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. And so you have this perfect opportunity to bridge those two generations together where maybe a kid's first Zelda game is Breath of the Wild, but his or her father or mother their first game was Ocarina of Time or A Link to the Past. And so now they want to take them back to, this is what I played as a kid, and you walk them through that. And I just think that is a really great sort of, you know, bonding experience over something that, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but for me growing up, like video games were somewhat of a taboo, where yeah. it was like <laughs> oh, something yeah. wrong with you for playing it all the time. Like you should do something more productive and... <laughs> Hindsight being 2020, we all could have maybe gone pro and <laughs> we could have been like, jokes on you, mom and dad. You just cost me thousands of dollars. But Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, like my parents, when I was a kid, you know, my parents were born in the 50s and they didn't play video games. And, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, don't don't stay inside all day. You know, go outside. You know, like, you've played enough today. Well, I, I haven't even like I've been playing 10 minutes. That's enough. You know, go outside. <laughs> Like it was taboo to to play video games all day, so I pretty much had to play like late at night and like on the weekends and stuff like that. So it's really like you said, it's it's become such a like our generation now are the ones having kids and we're playing games and our kids are playing games and we're having those bonding experiences that we just didn't have with our parents as kids. Like I remember my mom played Super Mario Brothers two a bit. But she was never really like into video games until, you know, a couple of years ago when she got really into Farmville all of a sudden. <laughs> hey, man, I've been there. All right. It was a dark time in my life. <laughs> but, you know, it was also one of those kind of things that me and my mom kind of bonded over. You know, like she was like she was just kind of dipping her toe into to like video games and stuff. And she knew that's what I liked. And, you know, she talked me into getting a Farmville account and we started you know, farming together and all this stuff. And, you know, it's like, it's a cool thing that now that, you know, we're having kids and we're having these bonding experiences over video games. Well, it's, it's funny, a, a quick story as well, sort of about that. Um, I don't want to go into too much of what my dad does, but he, he used to work for a baseball team. And uh, he used to tell me that he would come home after some tough losses. And when he didn't want to go to sleep yet, you know, some guys... Maybe they grab a, a handle of whiskey and, and just pour themselves a neat and try and simmer down. But he was like, nah, I'd, I'd pull out the Super Nintendo and play Super Mario World. <laughs> I was like, what? 
That's you awesome. would punish me Monday through Friday saying no video games, and here you are after a real bender, just deciding that like, damn it, I've got to find that blue Yoshi. Like I'm gonna, <laughs> I gotta burn off some steam. So it's just it's so interesting now, and I'm so glad because like look at what Fortnite's doing. I mean like that's a global phenomenon. Yes, it's everywhere, yep. guys, girls, in your 30s, in your teens, cool kids, jocks geeks, drama, whatever sort of subgroup you want to label people like everyone has at least heard of or now have been a part of Fortnite. And it's incredible to see that in an accepting sort of way, because you just look at what the stereotypes used to be. And I thought it was a little unfair and harsh that people would get just labeled as like, oh, that's geeky gamer, nerdy gamer, you know, Dungeons and Dragons type over there where it's like, okay, like. Put down the torches and pitchforks here, people. It's a puzzle. <laughs> Everyone has enjoyed puzzles since like the 1400s. This one just happens to be on a TV. So, yeah. Well, funny, funny story about Fortnite. Uh, we had a field trip uh, at the stadium the other day, and this kid asked a question. Hey, do you guys play Fortnite on your video board? <laughs> we're like, then we were trying to actually, we had the discussion, like, where would we sit? actually on the field to be able to actually see the video board good enough to play Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've, I think we decided on what, like second base or maybe like somewhere around that area. Hey, that listen, awesome. the whole point of a theory is to test it out. All right. That's yeah, all that's, I'm say, So <laughs> maybe we'll have to try that out on a Saturday night after a game or something, but no, um, little side story as far as like, because my mom, you know, never played video games. Like, she would watch me on occasion, but never got into it. But I do remember for the original PlayStation, because this was the one bonding, like, gaming experience that I had with my dad, is we would play uh, NASCAR Thunder 98 on the, play, <laughs> on the PlayStation 1. And we would play that for hours. Dang. Yeah. No, it, it, was, it was a fun time. But have either of you guys played Wind Waker before? Yes. Yes. Do you remember the controversy with that game at E3, I think the year before it came out? Didn't it have something to do with the the actual art style of it or something like that? Yes, because the year prior, when they were showing off the GameCube's hardware or whatever, they had this demo of a, you know, for the time, a realistic-looking Link and Ganondorf having a sword duel. And everybody's, you know, flipping out over it, but nothing else is done with it until the following E3 when they say, oh, we're going to show more about the next Legend of Zelda. And you see a cartoon link with cat eyes. And I'm like, my initial thought was, what the hell is this? But then as I watched the video over and over, I kind of warmed up to it. And I would say the Wind Waker it has one of the best stories. The graphics really hold up because the HD version, especially from the Wii U, looks really good. And the gameplay is great. This was the first game that introduced, you know, extended, you know, sword fighting and tricks you could do to fight enemies. And it was just really, really fun. And I remember everybody just feeling like idiots when this game came out and you start reading the reviews like, oh, this is, you know, one of the better games in the entire Zelda franchise. But everyone was losing their mind over the graphics. But I I think they hold up honestly better than something like a Twilight Princess. 
Oh, absolutely. I yeah, think, I think more uh, stylized you go with uh, the the graphics, the the better the game is going to hold up. And I think Zelda has proven consistently now that they're not afraid to take risks, especially big ones when it comes to optics. And because of that, even though it was it was so different, you're extending, I think, the lifetime of that game in terms of how well it's going to age by so many years by doing this. Because even though it is, yeah, at first you look at it and it's a little toony. I think Derek's spot on with the cat eyes. I've <laughs> never heard that before, but I was like, oh, yeah, it does kind of look like a kitty cat. But <laughs> like, it is still really, really good. And it allows the game to run smoothly, which is, you know, hugely important. And I don't, I don't notice any problems. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, going back and playing it, like I don't look at this and say, "Geez, this is this is really dated." Like, it still looks good and it's visually pleasing, especially with how much aquatic space there is. And you know, where Twilight Princess sort of missed on that, I think a little bit. You know, Breath of the Wild, again, took somewhat of a risk with how they decided to graphically compose that game. And I think because of that risk, it paid off and it's going to age really, really well. Yeah. Well, I think me and Derek had actually uh, talked about this before but because you had Wind Waker and then you had Twilight Princess. And Wind Waker was kind of really far to one side, kind of cartoony. Um, you know, the, the gameplay was great, but then you had Twilight Princess that was kind of a little more realistic graphics. It was really kind of a dark game. And then you have yeah. Breath of the Wild, which is kind of a good middle ground of those two games that, you know, the stylized graphics, the, uh, it's, it's got its dark moments, but it's also very beautiful and bright. And I think it's, like you said, I think it's going to hold up for a very long time. It was the perfect hybrid between the two as far as graphics go. I, yeah. think with, I think with Twilight Princess, you know, maybe, and look, we'd have to talk to some of the people that are the creators, but I think they got sucked into that race of trying to make the most realistic game. You know, yeah. you look at other franchises, the Halo series as well, you know, Call of Duty, these sort of like action-packed movie cinema graphics that were hundreds of millions of dollars to make and nintendo's never going to win that race so like i think that the twilight princess ganondorf is one of like the best looking ganondorfs we've ever seen but then you look at like link for example and like i'm looking at him right now he just doesn't look good yeah. like he just has not aged well and it, it feels like this weird sort of i mean i guess it technically is a fantasy role-playing game but like you know, I, too fantasy. Like, it's Zelda and Link are not supposed to look like, you know, Lord of the Rings characters. And that's just how they've aged. And it's it's unfortunate because of that. Yeah, I'll be honest. I've gone back and I've tried to play through Twilight Princess. I just cannot get into it like I can the other games. I mean, the story to me is not interesting. I do like the Midna character. I thought that she was really interesting. But... Just the rest of it, I just couldn't get into it like I could get into, you know, Ocarina of Time or, you know, Breath of the Wild or even, you know, Skyward Sword. You know, Skyward Sword to me had, that game definitely had its flaws, but I could at least get into the storyline a bit. 
Yeah, and that, and that was really disappointing when Twilight Princess came out because I was so excited for that game to come out, and I didn't get it on the Wii. I got it on the uh, the GameCube, and uh, I I had gotten it I think for Christmas that year, and th- that was all that I wanted. Like my girlfriend at, at the time was like, "What do you want?" I was like, "I want Twilight Princess, Legend of Zelda. That's all I want." And because I was in love with Wind Waker before that, um, I never played Skyward Sword, but I loved Wind Waker. And then to go from Wind Waker to Twilight Princess, I mean, it was night and day, those two games. And I just I wasn't ready for for, I guess, what Twilight Princess, like the whole aesthetic of the game was just so completely different. And that's where part one of this discussion will end. We'll pick it up next week with part two, where we discuss Skyward Sword. Breath of the Wild, and the legacy of the entire Zelda franchise. So be sure to come back next week to continue this fun discussion on The Legend of Zelda. Now, a couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, If you're listening to this the day it comes out, tomorrow I will be releasing a full press release, if you will, on episode 200 of this podcast. That will be out on Friday. Uh, So be sure to uh, check out my social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. I'll be releasing info on all three channels, so definitely check that out. You can also check out past episodes of the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all podcasting platforms. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And that's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday with part two of the Legend of Zelda Roundtable. Thank you.